podcast about product management, user experience design, technology, and more. This is Product by Design. All right, welcome back to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle Evans, and this week we have another awesome guest I am super excited about, Anna Kay with us. Welcome to the show, Anna. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, thank you for not trying to butcher my last name. <laughs> <laughs> my actual last name is Katliriapskaya, but I think you did the right thing to, to, by not trying to pronounce that thing. Anna K is uh, just fine. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it. And that is that is an awesome last name. And I definitely would not have been able to pronounce it very well. So I appreciate you pronouncing it for us. But let me do a brief intro for you, Anna, and then we'll have you kind of tell us a little bit more about yourself. But Anna is a coach uh, helping product leaders uh, go from inhibited to intuitive, which is sounds really, really great. And we'll talk more about that. But prior to becoming a, a product coach, Anna spent 15 years working with tech companies worldwide. During that time, she went from UX design to product management to leadership, and most recently, a director of product at ServiceNow, where she led the company's uh, enterprise agile planning solution from an inception to market leadership. So an, an awesome background uh, across pretty much all of product development and now doing product coaching. So super excited about this on uh, welcome to the show. And why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, well, I think that that summary was just just great. Uh, indeed, I started my my journey as a designer 15 years ago. Um, that was back in Russia. I worked for, uh, I worked at a couple of advertising agencies, and then I worked at a Russian tech giant. So the rest of the world has Google. Russia has its own thing, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's but the same concept. Uh, it's a search engine with a bunch of adjacent services. So that's what I was doing. And then I moved to the Netherlands and started working for ServiceNow. And ServiceNow is probably not the best known company, but it's uh, an enterprise cloud software company. It's really big these days. It's about 20,000 people. Um, yeah. So, and for the last nine years, I worked there. And just last summer, I decided that I need to do something else. And I figured that I'm going to try myself in product leadership coaching. Well, like I said, that is, it's a great background and I'm excited to talk more about it, both your experience in design, in product, uh, in leadership, and now in product coaching, because I think that this is uh, a lot to talk about and a lot to unpack. Mm -hmm. And then I think a lot of us, I, I know I have experience with service now in some of the organizations that that I've worked with. So I imagine a lot of us listening have probably uh, had experience with ServiceNow or at least familiar with it. So uh, we may have to touch on that a little bit more. But before we do, outside of product and pr product uh, coaching, what else do you like to do? Good question. I So what's, what led me to product coaching was actually another interest of mine, which is psychology. It's a long story, but either way, over the last decade, I was going through a lot of psychotherapy myself uh, and got really interested in how it works and why it works. And 
uh, that motivated me actually to go back to school for a degree in psychology. Um, and um, I really love this. And I think that's, that's why I ultimately practice coaching because it's, it's another form of building this one-on-one -on -one connection and helping somebody uh, go from A to B uh, in the direction that's meaningful to only them and really, really personal sometimes. Yeah, I think that's great. And I, I love kind of the connection between psychology and coaching, kind of like you, you touched on there, because I think that even within product in general, there's such a connection between uh, psychology and mm -hmm. a lot of the, the things that motivate us and, you know, the reasoning behind the, th why we do as people, why we do the things that we do and, and, you know, why certain things work and, and other things don't and all of that and kind of approaching both product management and coaching from a, psycho a psychology perspective is, is super-fascinating to me. So tell us more about that. That kind of leads into the next question. So you, you, you've kind of already started down that road, but tell us more about that. You know, how, how have you applied that both, you know, in your career and then how has that led into the coaching and, and how do you use that in, in how you coach uh, product managers and product leaders now? Yeah, I think product management and definitely product leadership is very, very interpersonal, right? And the further you go, the more it becomes about your interpersonal relationships with others. As a leader, um, you, yeah, you have a job, but you are part of that job. A big part of that job is just being yourself, being a person, being a person that others look up to, others can relate to, others want to follow, being a person who can create the right culture on the team, um, somebody who can manage, who can work with their stakeholders. We use the word stakeholder management, but I think in the context of psychology, that looks like, that sounds a little too pragmatic. Like, um, but yeah, working with your stakeholders effectively, all of this requires you to understand yourself, understand how others see you and how you see others and what are the interpersonal dynamics that are involved in your day-to-day -day conversations in that email you just sent, etc. Even if you're not a formal product leader, you're not a manager, you still do a lot of the same things. You, you interact with so many people, you are in the middle of a bunch of processes um, and yeah, the same interpersonal dynamics are part of your job either way. Absolutely. You, you touched on, I think, a really interesting part of both product management uh, design and product leadership, which is that idea of stakeholder management, which I feel like we talk about a lot and really is one of those important things and difficult things in the job and in the role, both product management and product leadership. And it's a difficult skill because it's one of those things that I think we we call a soft skill or it's not something that you can take a course on or read a book on and just, you know, learn, you know, this is stakeholder management. Mm -hmm. um, how do you approach, one, how do you think about that? And, and then how do you approach helping people with this idea of interpersonal skills and stakeholder management and, and those okay. types of relationships uh, within a product environment? Oh, that's a big question. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like how we, we frame this as stakeholder management. I think what we actually are saying, what, what people are actually struggling with, if somebody was to put it in plain English, is like, how do I deal with all these assholes? That's the <laughs> problem, right? It's like, oh my God, all these people, how do I work through all this? Uh, <laughs> and I think this brings me kind of to how I, I think I approach this in my own, I used to approach this in my own work in tech and how I try to help others approach this is to try to recognize that they're not any, they're, they're just as much of an asshole as you are. <laughs> And maybe they're not assholes at all, uh, right? It's, it's well, to put it more diplomatically, I guess, it starts with building personal relationships with all these people and trying to understand what motivates them, what stands behind their requests, their demands, uh, those things that annoy you uh, in your relationship with them. There's probably some sort of a discomfort or pain on the other end that drives this. And as soon as you unpack, unpack this and learn who these people are and what drives them to ask for the things they ask for, uh, it becomes absolutely clear how to work with that. You realize that, oh, there are synergies between what you need and what they need, uh, or there's uh, an opportunity to compromise. So treating people as people overall is a winning strategy as trivial as it sounds. I think that's so good. And, and reframing it, you know, I, I think it almost becomes a, a jargon kind of like you said, where it's, it's stakeholder management and this idea of almost depersonalization where it really is uh, at its core, kind of like you mentioned, it's, it's asshole management. How do we deal with all of these assholes? But it, it, a little bit tongue in cheek, but it, it is, it's, as people management and we're all at some point we're all the asshole and we're all the person that everybody's like oh, i've got to deal with that person but then stepping back a little we're all people and it's all the relationships of how how are we dealing with these varying needs and varying circumstances and trying to do that and, and that's frankly it's probably one of the most complex and difficult parts of work in general and especially product work. And, and mm -hmm. I think that's a really, really fascinating thing. Yeah. One of the things that one of the best advice I got um, from one of my former managers was uh, he was just a very patient person and it was magical to observe him work with others. And one time when I was very frustrated with some person, uh, <laughs> my manager at the time told me that, hey, all of us have some quirks, all of us have some some challenges. And if you pay too much attention to other people's quirks, you're not going to get anything done. And that was, I mean, that sounds trivial, but that to me was so great to hear because indeed I was focusing on how do I change this one person? How do I change this guy? why does this person have to always do X, Y, and Z? And indeed all of my energy was going in this direction and you can't, you can't change these people. Maybe you can, it's going to take you years, but it's not something that's in your control. So even focusing on that is sort of counterproductive. Absolutely. I, I think you're right. So I, I want to 
a step back for for a second and you know as you've gone through uh, your career and as you've you know started working with other product managers and and product leaders what are some of the the other areas of improvement that you've seen either come up repeatedly or that really kind of stand out for you uh, for, again, for product managers or, or product leaders? Lately, the, the area that I work with a lot that, uh, that I see in people who come to coaching with me is the is work-life balance, largely speaking. And I think part, to a large extent, what I see it often comes down to is um, people identifying with the outcomes of their work, right? And if and that drives a lot of a lot of other dynamics, but in particular that drives the unhealthy work-life balance and also challenges with stakeholder management. Because if you identify with the outcome, you look at others as your tools to get to that outcome, and that's uh, that's hard uh, to build strong relationships with people while treating them as tools. So work-life balance is one big area. And I think a couple more areas that I consistently uh, work on, one of them is delegation. New managers or even seasoned managers struggle still with delegation and feedback. And I said there was another one. Oh, there it is. Uh, Executive presence. New leaders and folks who aspire to become leaders, they are trying to figure out what what is this concept of executive presence? What is it built of? How do I develop executive presence and things like that? So again, it was work-life balance, delegation, and executive presence. That That is a really, really good list. And I, I kind of want to dive into uh, each of those. So Work-life balance is, I think, such a, a an important topic and one that I think comes up so frequently uh, for uh, so many of us, um, I think, in product management, in leadership, and just in general now, it's become such a, an important topic. Um, how do you approach this idea of, of work-life balance and helping people um, both find find the balance and and find the right boundaries and find the right way to approach you know what they're doing professionally and what they're doing in you know uh, in their life outside of work you know what would have been some of the things that you found are both the problems and the solutions to help people approach that i wish i had a silver bullet for this i don't <laughs> think i do yeah one of the one of the things that i'm starting to see is that like I said, the root of this problem oftentimes is that identification with the outcomes of your work. So if your identity is so tangled up in your work, then it becomes hard to to say no to something. It becomes hard to compromise the outcome in any way in favor of your personal life. And I feel like sometimes it's sort of inevitable, right? Sometimes it you sometimes prioritizing your life means prioritizing it over some of the outcomes you're driving at work yeah we can talk about being more effective picking prioritizing yada 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 and then yet all of us know that we at work we're dealing with 10 things of equal priority that take about 200 percent of our day it's the only way to to 
create balance is to start start saying no and start saying, hey, no, I'm not going to deliver as much and being okay with that somehow. And yeah. I think yeah. it's hard. I don't know. I don't know how to arrive at this, but I think what I'm noticing in terms of helping people get there, just clarifying this dynamic, clarifying that what's hard about work-life balance is that it threatens your identity fundamentally. I find that this is helpful. It doesn't immediately create a eureka moment and you you are a changed person tomorrow, but it's it is, it's a step on that path. I can definitely see that. Uh, that makes a, a lot of sense. And then kind of going along those same that same path and that same idea of you know being able to both uh, prioritize and uh, say you know yes to to certain things and say no uh, is this idea that you mentioned of, of delegation, which is a really, really interesting one. And I think can be a really, really difficult one, especially mm-hmm. for, um, you know, people who are really used to being in one in control of everything. And I think that's a lot of people in product and two used to being the one who, who does it. And, you know, as individual contributors, that is often the case. And then as, as you start to move up in your career and, and start to take on more responsibility, often you need to be delegating things. And, how have you seen that play out, especially as people kind of move up in their careers? And then how do you approach that as, you know, as somebody uh, starts to take on more and more and obviously needs to be delegating, um, but maybe they're not doing that. And I, it's probably something that we've all seen, but it's a, it can be a very, very challenging thing. So w- what's your approach uh, to that? Good question. And again, I don't have a silver bullet there either. <laughs> <laughs> I think in this in this topic of delegation, so many other things get tangled up as well. It's also about it's again about identifying with the outcome, right? Because I think what what prevents a lot of folks from delegating regularly is that idea that oh, if I give this work to so and so, that so and so is going to screw it up and it's going to reflect poorly on me. Uh, so again, the fact that it's going to reflect poorly on me is what's preventing people from delegating. So again, taking, I find that taking some distance from the outcome, like, weirdly enough, is helpful. As, as leaders, we are not in control of what, what is going on in our team. We have some influence, but we cannot control control the outcome. And I think it's it's hard to accept that, but I find that it's absolutely necessary to accept that. Otherwise, you you're not gonna be a good leader. You're gonna be the one that's micromanaging everybody or doing everything themselves, not having a life. All of your direct reports are pissed that they don't get interesting projects. Nobody's growing on that team. So great, you delivered an outcome, but you nobody wants to work for you and you're probably absolutely burnt out so who who benefits from that is unclear i don't know where i was going with that but uh, (laughs) (laughs) no Um, you've touched on i think some really really good points and and kind of really summarizing or or at least characterizing like the maybe not all of the the traits of a good leader versus a bad leader but like some really really key differentiators between like what makes a good leader and a bad leader and mm-hmm. 
the things that lead to to burnout are obviously like not being able to prioritize and then, you know, taking on everything, not delegating mm -hmm. and then micromanaging and feeling like you have to control everything. Mm -hmm. um, that leads somebody down this terrible, terrible path that eventually like you get burned out and you end up like not liking life or your job or anything, but you also really hurt your team in the, in the process because they don't, like you said, they don't get to do any of the, the things they mm -hmm. want to do. They don't have the autonomy. Whereas, you know, somebody who is taking the opposite approach, who is kind of letting go of, of some of the control, you know, delegating the responsibilities, understanding that, you know, they, they may not be able to control all of the out, the outcomes, but, you know, they're going to give the responsibility over and have some degree of trust. They're not micromanaging. They're giving uh, everybody else the opportunity to both grow and develop. And you, you see kind of that dichotomy of like, a good leader who is going to end up having a team that is growing and has autonomy and is taking on responsibility versus some of the characteristics of not good, uh, where everybody is just uh, not growing and getting burned out and the micromanagement, all those things. So mm -hmm. I think that's a really, yeah. really good juxtaposition. Yeah. And I think that the difference in the mindset behind these two, between these two leaders is one focuses on the product, on the outcome, and the other one focuses on the people. And I think that makes a world of difference. And it's it's hard, and perhaps it's not a clear dichotomy. It sounds like there's there's got to be something in between, right? That as a leader, you you are driving the outcome. You do influence the outcome, but you sort of do it indirectly. You you do it through growing your your people. So it's not that you're choosing either or, but you of, often have to choose to 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 deprioritize the importance of the outcome uh, and and instead prioritize the growth of your team. I think that's exactly right, and it's often taking that longer term view where you may end up having some of the short-term pain because you're letting go of some of the control. And oftentimes, you know, you're in that position because you can do things better than other mm -hmm. people. And, you know, that's, that's why you may be there. But if you're doing everything, then you're, you're not going, you're not letting other people learn. You're, you're going to get burned out. And so over the short term, things may not be as good as if you were doing it, but over the long term, you're, you're setting everybody else up, including yourself, for a lot more success because you're not, you don't have to do everything. Your team is able to do more and more and, and everybody gets to have uh, the opportunity to both grow, but you as, as a leader, your team taking on the responsibility. And, and like you said, it, the outcomes will, you can influence those, but then also, you know, the people taking kind of the priority as opposed to maybe the short-term outcome of, of, you know, here's the success on, these couple of things that you may have to suffer a little in order for, you know, some of those longer term things to end up being more successful. That's right. It's, it's interesting. You highlighted this dynamic that you often, you got promoted because you were so good at doing your job and now you can't rely on the same skills anymore, which, yeah, which is a very well-known truth. And it's funny how that works. I wonder how, what would be a more optimal dynamic that organizations could adopt so that their managers are naturally actually good at 
being leaders instead of being in the weeds of everybody's stuff. Um, I don't know how that could work. Um, perhaps on the other hand, if we just hired a bunch of, I don't know, MBA students, uh, MBA graduates from the street and didn't promote anybody, but put those folks in charge, maybe that wouldn't lead to good outcomes either. Yeah, it's, I would be curious to learn from somebody who specializes on organizational dynamics. What, what What's the optimal strategy of finding or growing new leaders? It's definitely one of those difficult things because, uh, you know, obviously being good at what you do is an important part of it and, and valuable to an organization. But then those aren't necessarily the same skills that are going to make you a good manager. And for organizations to kind of appreciate that and either be more focused on what does make a good manager or at the very least help those people become good managers because the skill set is often very, very different. And the amount of time and effort that that we put into uh, that within an organization is often lacking. Uh, so yeah. anyway, yeah, I agree. So it's yeah. super interesting. Actually, yeah, I have to say I used to be terrible as a manager when I first... <laughs> became a manager i was exactly as we are both describing i was a good individual contributor and i was working hard and was so ambitious and that's why i was promoted and then what was also part of that dynamic was i got promoted over my peers so my former peers became my direct reports and within a month two-thirds of them left my team they quit their jobs that's how terrible i was <laughs> and it was bad um I, I was devastated because i actually had not taken that job lightly when i got promoted i, I knew that oh that's a big responsibility i need to learn how to do this i need to prepare and i went and read a bunch of books and took some courses and and yet I clearly sucked at being a manager. And every, when the majority of the team left and I, I was left with a very small team, that was an awakening moment for me. And my manager at that time was really good at delivering the news and communicating what those folks who left the team had to say and what their genuine feedback was. And that actually made me reflect. I, that's the moment when I felt like, oh, I had been busy following the advice from the books, but I actually forgot to focus on the people. And I feel like that's maybe it's an inevitable dynamic as well. But when we become, when we start something new, we learn a new tool or we're doing some, a new activity, we're focused on the mechanics of how it works, right? If it's a new tool, like you, I see a guitar behind you, right? When somebody is learning to play a guitar, they're first very focused probably on the guitar itself, not so much on the music, right? And you're not gonna go very far if that's gonna be the end of your journey uh, at playing the guitar. You've gotta switch to paying attention to the music at some point. Kind of same with management, right? You learn a bunch of these tips and tricks and then you're applying them. But if you're doing it really mechanically without paying attention to what's actually going on and kind of dancing in the moment with, with your, with the people around you, you're just gonna, you're not gonna succeed as a leader. I've met people like that who are 
actually seasoned leaders, but whenever you interact with them, you feel like they're just applying some textbook knowledge and checking the boxes in their management textbook. Yeah, I, I think you've nailed it where it's, there is the mechanics of it and th those are important things, but it's so easy as new managers to lose, kind of lose the beat, kind of like you're talking about with the music analogy, where you get so caught up in the mechanics of it, in the kind of the checklist type things that you're trying to make sure that you don't forget. And there's kind of the rhythm and the beat of, of management, of leading people mm -hmm. that is, it, it, it's more important. It, it's kind of the, the part, the, the human element of it, the part that I think we all care more about that is, uh, I, I think it comes with time. I, I, I know when I first became a manager as well, like I, I, I think that I did okay at it. Like I, I didn't quite have the same experience where like lots of people left, but at the same time, like I look back at it, um, at my first few experiences and it was like, I, I would do things quite differently. Like I, I, I had the same kind of experience where I was like, uh, very much some of the mechanics and, you know, trying to make sure that I was doing all of the right things. And you, you learn so much more, you know, the more you go on and, and the more you learn, you, you can go back and apply that. And you're like, wow, I, I was really new at doing all of those things. And, and now I can see a lot of the mistakes that I made. And, and um, so, the, I mean, there's always part of that growth, but making sure that you don't lose sight of that, human element of it, which mm -hmm. is, I think if you do that first, you end up, even if you don't have all the mechanics down, if you can have, keep going to this music analogy that you, that you gave, because I think it's great. If you, if you have good rhythm and, and a good beat and, and a good sound, that it will still be a good song, mm -hmm. even if it's not mechanically or technically perfect. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas like you can have a technically perfect song it may not sound good though, and no one may like it. And so like you, you can't have that. You, you won't be a good manager being technically perfect. Uh -huh. You would, you could be a good manager if, uh, if you had, you know, kind of the, the rhythm and the beat and, and a good tune. So mm -hmm. I think that's great analogy. I'm going to start using that. I love it. You, you came up with a great one. Yeah. And I think if we were to demystify what's, what's all in it in management, if it's not the mechanics, then what it what what is it? I think it's a big part of it is just being comfortable with yourself as a as a person, somehow being comfortable in your skin, which kind of leads me to uh, executive presence. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that some more. So being comfortable with who you are and how without having to act, because when you're acting, you're too busy acting. <laughs> you're not. You're not paying attention to people in front of you, uh, stuff like that. You're just focused on yourself. And I think the other part of it is that connection with your direct reports, right? Understanding what motivates them. Why are they here? What are they trying to practice? What skills are they trying to focus on? Where? How do they want to grow in their careers? This project that they're working on, this feature, how do they see that contributing to their growth? Uh, if they don't see how it contributes to their growth, they're probably not going to do too good of a job. Or, I don't know, maybe it's not career growth that they are motivated by. Then what is it? Is it is it the mission of the product? Great, that's awesome. 
it could be a gazillion things for different people. It's very different. Maybe somebody is looking to switch their career and they're focused on things that will give them experience that's adjacent to the field they want to go. So being cool with who you are and knowing who is around you, I think those are the important things in leadership. Yeah, I, th- I think that's great. And I- I'd love to kind of dive into that a little bit more because you touched on executive presence being uh, such an important thing and then being comfortable with who you are. So let's talk a little bit more about that. You know, what what is executive presence and how can we have more executive presence and and how can that uh how can we develop that as mm. as leaders or or even just as you know as as product people uh in our roles every every time i talk with clients about this i'm tr- i'm understanding this a little bit more that's maybe we can discuss a little bit later about how coaching actually works because yeah. I think as you ask me these questions, it almost sounds like I'm expected to be this expert. And frankly, I'm not an expert. I learn from my clients and they learn something from me and we figure something out in discussions with each other. But either either way, uh, my understanding of executive presence over the years transitioned from uh, some idea of what does a typical leader look like and trying to project that and dressing a certain way and sitting a certain way and acting ultimately to grasping that I think executive presence is largely about your confidence. And you can be confident while being very different from that image of an abstract, powerful leader. So. It's funny, mentally going back to the times to, to the time when I was promoted to a manager position, and even slightly before when I was just working as a product manager, but trying to project some image, I would look at uh, the characters from uh, House of Cards, right? And I'd be like, "This is how I need to look, right? I need to, <laughs> I need to wear these pencil skirts and uh, wear high heels." which at the time I lived in the Netherlands, so it was more appropriate in, in California. People would probably laugh at me right away when trying to dress this way in tech. Uh, but anyway, the point being, I was trying to act a certain way. And I think it was helpful to some degree because eventually when I was trying to act, it did make certain impression on people. People started to act differently toward me and I was able to internalize their perception of me, right? So I dressed nicely and formally, people treated me as a leader, and I started to feel like a leader. And after that moment, I could basically dress in whatever the hell I wanted, because that feeling was already with me. So I guess over time, I and in many conversations with my clients, I figured that I didn't actually have to dress a certain way. I could just be confident right away. Like, why, 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 why did I do that unnecessary step? <laughs> and, and indeed, if we look at good leaders, I think we'll find many folks who have some interesting quirks, interesting interpersonal dynamics, but they don't let themselves um, get too insecure about these things. Otherwise, that would become a blocker. And they just, they rock that stuff and that they carry that as part of their image and that becomes part of their charisma. I think that's 
really, really good because um, it can be, it can be really difficult, especially starting out where you, there's so much uncertainty about, you know, how, you know, how should I be acting and, and, you know, how should I kind of, like you mentioned, be dressing and, and all of these different situations. And, and ultimately it's about the, you know, much more about the, the confidence that you're portraying and how you kind of, like you mentioned, how you feel in, in your own skin and, 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 you know, how you see yourself as opposed to, you know, necessarily the, you know, what, what you're wearing or, or some of these other things. Um, I, I think that's kind of an interesting part too of you, you kind of, I think alluded to this a little bit uh, of imposter syndrome and, and you, know, the, we have this term coming up more and more frequently of, you know, not feeling like um, you necessarily belong, um, you know, and so uh, having almost a lack of confidence that, you know, I, everybody else here is, is smarter than me, for example, and, and I'm the imposter in the room and I don't want anybody else to find out. And so you, you may uh, end up doing some of the things, like you said, you know, you know dressing in a certain way or um, acting in a certain way mm-hmm. to, to kind of overcome that. So how have you seen that maybe playing into either uh, people on, on the teams that you've, you've been in or people that you work with? And, you know, what, what are your thoughts in general on, again, this, this lack of confidence, confidence or uh, imposter syndrome? Yeah, that's, this is a big, one of the big themes that I run into in coaching as well. I, and I think that's probably, people see that executive presence as an antidote to lack of confidence, to imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. I, I always invite my clients to accept that feeling, first of all, to just acknowledge that, yeah, it is there. And then to, to try to contemplate on what do they bring to the table? It's, I think it's probably accurate to say that we all feel deficient in some ways. Like I don't have these types of skills. I don't, oh, this guy went to Harvard business school. Who am I to be here at the same table? Uh, but you're here at the same table because you bring something to the table and it's good to remind yourself what it is that you do have. What are those competences and skills? I find that it, it, it is helpful. And I find that also we, we tend to experience this imposter syndrome mostly in some transition, right? When we are new to the team or when we are new in this role because as we go further we learn that everybody else is just as imperfect and the person who went to harvard business school might might have their own uh, gaps in knowledge in other areas Um, and i feel like this this feeling usually dissipates so perhaps that's another helpful thing to, to think about is just all the past experiences where you felt like an imposter and what happened after and what lessons did you derive from that? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that, that I think that so many of us, myself included, have felt like imposters at many different times uh, throughout my career and throughout our careers. And and kind of like you said, if, if we take a look back it is, it feels like such a normal thing. And, and oftentimes, you know, once you've gone through that and 
not to say that it won't happen again, but you realize that, you know, it is, it's not the, the, something that's going to stick around for, for mm -hmm. the long term. It's once you're there and once you, you know, kind of uh, have a chance to acclimate and, and understand things, you realize that you, you do in fact bring a lot to the table that you are not in fact an imposter and that other people are also bringing a lot to the table, but also don't know everything. And so like, that's why you have a team of people with all their different perspectives and, and you are part of that. And so I, I think that's great advice, like remembering all the, the past experiences and mm -hmm. understanding that, you know, it's, you know, this probably won't be the one time where everybody in the room has a hundred percent of the knowledge and you are the only person who knows nothing about what they're doing. And mm -hmm. everybody's going to look and be like, ah, we finally have a case where, you know, someone in here is an absolute idiot. And now we need to just get them out of here. Like that hasn't happened before. It probably isn't going to happen this time, even though that's what exactly what it feels like when you just, you sit down and you're like, oh no, yeah, that that's what's going to happen this time to me. And I think it's interesting as you're talking about it, I recall that the other side of this dynamic that I observe working with some of the clients is that people, some people feel like imposters, right? But some people are on the opposite side and they feel like, hey, I have all these credentials. I have this educational background, uh, a track record of working in the hottest companies in tech for so many years, how come so-and-so gets promoted over me, right? This is the other side of the dynamic. And I'm not sure which, which side is healthier because here uh, you become so complacent. And so uh, you're, you're banking on your background so much that you might be missing how, how shit actually works, right? How careers actually work, what people get promoted for, you forget maybe to drive outcomes, you forget to work on the important things. And yeah, you might have all the competencies in the world, but if you're not day-to-day -day applying them, using them, uh, it's not gonna get you very far. And there might be this imposter, quote-unquote imposter, who is very hungry and ambitious and they might bypass you. I, I think that's a great thing to keep in mind as well. Now, you, you touched on coaching, and I, and I want to talk more about this because I think that you've hit on such an important point about the importance of coaching um, and where it's valuable and, and how to think about it. So I guess tell us more about that in general. You know, what what is coaching to you? And you kind of like you mentioned, it's not somebody coming in with all the answers and being like, here's everything. Um, but but what is it in fact, and, and and how is it valuable to to those in you know in product management and product leadership and, and anyone in general? Yeah, good question. Uh, let's see. There's so many answers to for, to this question that it's gonna vary so greatly depending on who you ask, and even people who call themselves product coaches. I think there's a a world of difference between all of these different folks in, in this, on this market, I'll give you my answers. And I'm still, I'm still figuring out my answers. I started working as a coach, uh, last summer and I 
redefine what coaching is for myself all the time. I think right now, I've, I think this is a time and space for people to define their intentions for their career and systematically revisit those intentions, define, define and redefine the strategy of getting to certain goals that they want to achieve and reflecting on what's blocking them at, on every step of the way. I don't feel like this is a full definition. I think this is part of it and I'll explain what I mean here. So this whole intentionality thing is important for coaching, but this is not, it's not the end of coaching. More often than not, we discover that what's blocking us from achieving X, Y, and Z at work is some psychological challenge, right? So while we start with just goals and strategy for achieving those goals, somehow the conversation often eventually comes down to who you are at work, how is your identity related to what you do, uh, how do you relate to others. So coaching allows you to reflect on these deeper underlying dynamics, examine, examine how you, what those dynamics are, how you want to change them. So for instance, in our conversation today, we discussed what prevents people from delegating or what's blocking people from establishing a healthy work-life balance. And no matter which of these topics we discussed, we often always run into that it's something, it has something to do with who they believe they are, with their identity, with what, works, work, what work means to them. And the, the conversations in coaching go deep into this psychological dynamics. So they start with goals and achievement, but quickly transform into a, things that touch you on a deeper characterological level. I, I think that's that's really, really great because it, it's not kind of like you said, it, it's about the reflecting of, you know, what it is that we're trying to do, how how we're doing and kind of this constant discovery of where where are we, where are we going, you know, what do we need to get there and mm-hmm. not necessarily, and this for me is kind of like what you said before, um, not necessarily someone with all of the answers for for every situation but kind of this constant process of discovery and and having an outside perspective of you know what what is it that I may not be able to see because you know I I have my own perspective of myself which is sometimes accurate and sometimes not accurate and so being able to have another perspective of you know where where am I you know what are some of the things that are helping me or, or holding me back. And, you know, how, how can we work together in, in this, you know, coaching relationship in order to, to see things and in order to continue to develop. And, and I think that's such an important thing because um, it's, it's difficult and a career is a, is a difficult thing. And I, I think that uh, for me, I think coaching is continually like an underrated Thing that we just don't do enough. We talked a little bit about this earlier. Like when you get into management, there's just so little that within a company that prepares you or that helps develop 
like new managers. There may be like some things that you do depending on, on the company, but I mean, ultimately it's really up to you to like figure that out mm-hmm. as you start to take on those, those responsibilities. And that's, that's a lot to do to step into that type of role. And so like really being able to take ownership of, of a lot of that, no matter where you are in your career and have not just you responsible for that. And, and again, not just your manager either, who also has all of the other things that, that, that are on their plate, but like somebody really focused on you know, what it is that you need. So I think yeah. that that's a really, really valuable thing that I've, yeah. I have seen. And then we've talked a lot about, so I, I think that's great. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly how I see it. It's this neutral partner who is there with you on the job, helping you go through all of these challenges, oftentimes by quietly observing you, helping you reflect. Um, but there's this other view of coaching that, that, that I run into in the product management community, which is a product coach is somebody who's going to teach me how to do product management. And there's plenty of that as well. And uh, I find that this is probably an effective strategy, an effective type of coaching for hard skills, right? If you are looking to learn about product discovery, you can find a coach for that. What I deal with is more of the interpersonal skills, soft skills, uh, which I think are a big part of product management, regardless of what level you are. Absolutely. Yeah, they definitely are. I, I agree with that. What What is something that you know now, both or either as a, as a coach or as somebody who's been in the industry for a long time that you wish you would have known when you started earlier in your career? That's a good one. I don't know. I didn't, I don't have a good answer for you. Probably something about those pencil skirts (laughs) (laughs) that you're not fooling anybody by trying to project a certain image. That's not a product management specific discovery, but it's more again about about soft skills and image uh, and stuff like that. And in product management, hmm, yeah, I don't think I have a, a specific know-how or specific discovery. So I guess what I often um get back to the thought that i the principle i often get back to is that a strong product strategy has a one-line idea of what our differentiator is if you find yourself describing in a thousand words even in five sentences how your product is different from a competitor you don't have a strategy so this i guess that's one of my fundamental beliefs in product management. I think that's great. I totally, totally agree. And for somebody who wants to get in to either product management or design or even, you know, leadership in some way, you know, what, what advice would you give to them? I'm going to give a controversial advice drop out of your MBA program or whatever it is you're doing for school. <laughs> uh, especially if it's MBA. Uh, I have a lot of respect for folks who, who, who want to go this route, but I find that it is, it's not helpful for your day-to-day work. This is not what's going to get you promoted. This is, I don't think it's going to 
make you a better product manager. If you are going to those programs to get connections, that's one story, but it's not like, it's not that based on this credential on your resume, you're going to become uh, twice as successful or twice as smart. Uh, so I think product management is a lot about uh, common sense and practice. So save your money on, for something better than that, than, than MBA. Yeah, absolutely love it. We love controversial advice on, on this podcast. And I think that that is a, an absolutely great one. So awesome. All right. This has been a really, really great conversation and I absolutely have loved it. Um, I do have a couple like wrap up questions, but before we get to those, where can people find out more about you, about uh, your coaching, about, you know, the work that you're doing? Good. So I think there's a couple of ways to find out more about me. I'm hoping that we can link my LinkedIn in the show notes for the podcast. Uh, my last name is really hard to pr pronounce, so a link would be really helpful. And also, another way to find me is to type tech-happy.com. That's my personal website where you can learn more about coaching, about me, and maybe book a discovery session with me, techhappy.com. Okay, great. Yeah, we will put both of those links in the show notes so you can check those out and uh, connect with Anna there and with uh, her coaching and you can check those out. So that would be perfect. Well, to wrap things up, we usually like to ask everyone uh, a couple questions, just uh, more generally speaking. So if they're uh, first one, have you read or watched or listened to anything recently that you found interesting and would like to share? Does it have to be product management related or no, what, what? it doesn't have to be product. It could be anything. Yeah. Okay. I have this TV show that I want to share because I don't know, I don't know enough people who know about it and it might be number one TV show on my list. Uh, it's called Horace and Pete. Uh, it's a it's on Hulu. It's a show by Louis C.K. made in 2016. So it's a, it's pretty old. I don't know how I didn't discover it before, and I don't know many people who did either. It's super dark, and it starts off funny, but then gets extremely dark and very interesting. And it's all filmed as as if it's a theater play. So if you like super weird shit and you're out of things to watch, Horace and Pete on Hulu. <laughs> okay, nice. Hey, I'm just looking at it now. I have not heard of that one. So I'll have to, I'll have to take a look at that. That looks, yeah. uh, that looks interesting. It has, has almost like a Cheers vibe to it, just like looking at some of the pictures. Right, so, it, starts, it starts off looking like a sitcom, but then you're like, yeah. holy shit, it's not a sitcom. It's something dark and tragic, and but it looks like a sitcom. So good combination. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, yeah, we'll have to check that one out. Awesome. All right. And then if there's any uh, products that you have been using and enjoying or not enjoying so you can give it a shout out or a, a gripe to anything that uh, you have liked or, or disliked recently mm, let's see i've been using my yoga app uh, a lot and it's called down dog and i love this app because on the one hand it's 
it's a lot of great yoga. Uh, they dynamically mix up and create new new practice for you every time you hit play. And on the other hand, what I really appreciate about this product is that they are so they have a lot of self irony. So they crack jokes about all the yogis in the app all the time. So when they're when you press press play and they show you the loading indicator above that loading indicator, there's always something something funny like like downloading media, cleansing your chakras, drinking kombucha, etc. So I, I appreciate this, this irony. I, I like not taking myself too seriously. Yeah, I can definitely appreciate that. That's great. Awesome. Well, Anna, again, this has been a really, really great conversation. I appreciate all of your insights and everything that you've shared. I, I think this has been really good. We probably could go into a number of these different topics uh, for a long time. So uh, I have really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I think that this will be a great one for anybody who listens. So hopefully everybody who has been listening uh, has enjoyed it as well. I think this is great. And you can check out more and book some time uh, with Anna at, at the website that we will link in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kyle. I enjoyed it too. And I hope your listeners will appreciate it as well. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you. And thanks everybody for listening. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow the show on Twitter at prod by design. That's prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me at Kyle Larry Evans on Twitter as well. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter product thinking at productthinking.cc. You can follow me on Medium at Kaya Larry Evans as well, or check out my Medium publication, uh, Product by Design. Thanks again.